Revelation chapter 22, last chapter in the Bible, easy to find, right? And uh, this morning is going to be a little different. I'm just going to give you one verse to begin with, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll frame it in the context of, of really the entire Bible. Uh, verse 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Father, we thank you for this awesome invitation. Thank you, as we sang just a moment ago, we can come just as we are. But I also thank you that if we do, we'll never leave the same. Thank you for the life-changing power in the blood of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And May we experience an encounter with you this day that leaves us forever changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. How many of you remember putting together the list of those that you would invite to your wedding? Just raise your hand. You remember that? Remember making that list? Is there anybody who can recall that list continuing to grow and grow and grow? I'll, I'll be honest with you. I just kind of left that to... Uh, to Tina and her mom and her parents, I guess, and uh, I don't know who all got in on the inviting process, but I know there were literally hundreds at our wedding that I didn't even know that were introducing themselves to me, uh, friends and friends of friends. As a matter of fact, there were a couple ladies that just came to the reception because they come, uh, they went to everybody's reception in that city. And, uh, you know, just kind of true story. You can talk with Tina about this later. True story. They put food from the reception in their purse, take it home, put it in their freezer. And at the end of the year, they have a Christmas party where they pull out all the frozen goods from everybody's wedding and serve it up. And uh, true story. But we had so many folks at our wedding, and, you know, the list just grows and grows. Thank God for um, father-in-law that was willing to go in debt, I guess, to pay for it. But um, th- that's, uh, that's the way it happens with weddings sometimes. The, the invitation list just grows and grows. Some of you are already deciding you're going to elope one day to avoid all of that. Well, it's neat to get a wedding invitation. It's neat to get any kind of invitation sometimes, isn't it? Just to say, man, I'm glad that I got invited, got to be a part of that. Well, the Bible gives us the greatest invitation ever given. Because it is the greatest story ever told. We kind of zoom in and out of the story at different times. As a matter of fact, we kind of look at different verses of Scripture as favorite verses that can stand alone. And and that's okay, but usually when we hear a verse, we need to think about where does it fit into the entire story. You know, our life groups, uh, adult life groups have started into the um, gospel project, and they're studying how... Your story fits into the story, and so those quotes just kind of fit into a big picture. As a matter of fact, if you're like me, some of you are, big-time movie buffs, when you hear a movie quote, you immediately can, can name the movie that that quote came from. And the young people may pick up on those quotes, and they may use those quotes, but you're thinking, yeah, but you don't know the movie. You don't know the big picture. You don't know where that came from. Let me do a little test by way of introduction this morning. It just kind of shout it out. Anybody, anywhere, shout it out if you know that what movie this quote came from. And I'll, I'll give you about eight or ten of the most popular movie quotes of all time. 
Here we go, but you'll know these. I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. All right, Wizard of Oz, there you go. I could have chosen a lot from that movie. Here's one. Here's looking at you, kid. Casablanca, thank you. There's like there's eight or ten of the best movie quotes of all times come from that, that one movie that my wife falls asleep every time we try to watch. All right, this might be a little tougher. You know the character if you don't know the movie. Go ahead. Make my day. Not sure if I heard Sudden Impact, but I heard Clint Eastwood. Here's an easy one. May the force be with you. All right, yeah. I heard Star Wars, Yoda, and all kinds of things. Phone home. E.T. All right. Yeah, I was drugged to that movie when I was a kid. You're going to need a bigger boat. Jaws. All right. I thought that might be a tough one. I'll be back. Terminator. If you build it, he will come. Field of Dreams. Some of you are as bad as me with these movies. I mean, just love love a good movie. Here we go. Uh, last one. <laughs> this is this is for the over fifty crowd right here. As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. <laughs> All right. Some young folks knew that one, too. Gone with the wind. I'll tell you, we hear a, a line like that, and immediately we think of the movie, we think of the big picture. And when we read Scripture, and, and if we have a favorite verse, a favorite quote from the Bible, we always need to keep in mind that it is part of a big picture. It's part of the greatest story ever told, that Creator God created this world. He created... Adam and Eve in the beginning to, to walk in fellowship with him, and of course they blew it. They sinned. We live as a result of that in a sin-fallen world. But from Genesis all the way through Revelation, the Bible itself is God's story of redemption, how Jesus would one day step into this world, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, die on a cross as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He would die for your sin and for my sin. And when we get to the resurrection of Christ and him giving a, a commission to his disciples from the book of Acts all the way to Revelation, the rest of the Bible is an invitation for us to come be a part of the script, for us to come be a part of what the divine storyteller is talking about here because this story is a true story and it's the greatest story that's ever been told, and I want to be a part of it, and I hope you want to be a part of it as well. So I want you to examine three elements of the invitation this morning. As we look at the invitation, I want you to see that you are a part of the story, and even one of the ones extending the invitation. First of all, I want you to notice in this one verse here the method of the invitation. The method of the invitation. He says the Spirit and the bride say come. Who says come? The Spirit and the bride say come. God's story from the beginning, the Father God as Yahweh, desiring people to redeem as a people for himself, is now extending this invitation to come and be a part of what he's doing. He sends the Spirit. Jesus himself said, if I go, I will send another. The word for another there was a, uh, in John's gospel meant another of the same. I will send another, and he 
will, when he comes, convict the world. So I want you to see, first of all, that the Spirit convicts, John 16 and verse 8, he will convict the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. So the Spirit is involved in bringing conviction into this world that reveals to us a need to come to Jesus Christ. It's an invitation to come and join him to deal with the sin and the judgment and the righteousness that is required. And the Spirit calls us, men, women, boys, and girls, to come and be a part. When John said in John chapter 6, verse uh, 44, when he recorded that, uh, the words of Jesus saying that no one comes to me unless he is drawn by the Father. Well, how did the Father do that work of drawing people? It's the Holy Spirit who has come into the world that convicts us of sin, of judgment, and righteousness that calls us, that says you need, and you know this in your heart of hearts, you need to come to Jesus. You could not do that unless the Holy Spirit began to convict you and call you to Jesus Christ. So the Spirit convicts and the Spirit calls, and we could say, well, that's enough. The Spirit says, come. We could have left the second word out of this equation. Except God, in his sovereign plan, chose to include not only the Holy Spirit of God, but you and me. And so he says, the Spirit and the bride. Who is the bride? The bride is the bride of Christ. The bride is the church, the body, that those who have come to faith in Christ, who are now his children, we're to be part of extending this invitation. So what does the bride do? While the Spirit convicts and the Spirit calls, the bride is to connect. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, we are told that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And if we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that means we need to have some kind of relational connection with the people around us. We need to be able to connect with this world in which we live so that the second part that I'll mention here, the part of the bride, the role of the bride, is to communicate. We need to build relationships with those around us, whether it be at your school, in your neighborhood, at your workplace. We need to be able to connect with those people so that we can communicate something. What do we communicate? Well, Romans 10, 13 has good news, right? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A lot of us know verse 13. Do you know the verses following? How can they call upon the one of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear unless there is a proclaimer? And how shall they proclaim unless they are sent? So we need to build a connection with this world so that we can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to communicate the invitation and not just think, well, I don't understand why God just doesn't send his Holy Spirit and convict them and call them. He has. But the gospel, the story is in words. And he has given us those words of the gospel that, as 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, don't corrupt that gospel. Don't mess up that gospel. But we are to deliver that gospel. We're to communicate that gospel to those around us. All of us are to be proclaimers. So we are to connect. We're to communicate with words. A lot of people uh, love to quote St. Francis of Assisi. And I get what he was saying when he said this. He said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. 
And by that, he was saying, live your life in such a way that it communicates the gospel. And I get that, I understand that. And our lives should be a shining example to the glory of God. However, I, I would say this to St. Francis of Assisi, I would say, words are necessary. Words are necessary. Our walk with Jesus Christ gives credibility to our talk, but our talk, the words, give clarity to our walk. And both are necessary. And so we're to communicate. We're to connect with people. We're to communicate the gospel. And we are to compel people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul says, We persuade men. Paul was speaking of his tears, his urgency. The fact that there is no other hope for salvation other than coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And with that, with, with the understanding that there is a heaven and that there is a hell and we will spend eternity somewhere. There is abundant life in this world in Christ and there is a life outside of Christ that we need to leave behind. It's with that urgency that we compel people. We plead with people. We pray for people. To come to Christ. And so the method, according to Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, is the Spirit and the bride working together. Isn't that what we see in Acts 1 8? You, the church, you, the disciples, you, the Christ followers, shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what is Holy Spirit power for? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the spiritual gifts, and we all have different gifts, and I thank God for the gifts. But Holy Spirit power wasn't ultimately for us to operate in our gifts. The Holy Spirit power was ultimately for us to be spirit-filled witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might speak those words boldly under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when someone hears... When someone hears, let him who hears say come. They immediately become a part of the equation. And if they're coming, what are they to do? They're to bring others with them. The Spirit and the bride says, come. Let him who hears say come. And then let him who hears come. Let him thirst come. That's the method. Inviting people who will invite people who will invite people who will invite people and spread the word. And may the word grow faster and more people want to be a part of it. Certainly than what's ever been invited to a wedding on this earth. I got a call from a, a friend of mine a couple of years ago. At, we were at, at church camp during the summer with the kids. And uh, I, when I answered my phone, it was a friend I had not heard from in a long time. And he said, well, Robbie, um, I haven't been to Georgia in a long time. I said, yeah, I, I guess you haven't, have you? And he said, well, um, you know why I haven't been to Georgia in a long time? I said, uh, no. <laughs> why, haven't you, why haven't you been to? I thought he was going to make some crack about the state of Georgia, as he's you know, done before. But I said, no, why haven't, haven't you been to Georgia in a long time? He said, well, because I haven't been invited. <laughs> and then I realized the, the crack was on me. He was saying, the reason I haven't been to Georgia is because you haven't invited me to come and see you. And that was a big hint. 
And I was thinking, oh, oh, it's me. I'm the one. You know, there are a lot of people in this world that have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get that. I know that. I realize that we live in a world that where there is an anti-Christian spirit, the spirit of antichrist. John said in his epistle, was already here. But there are a lot of people that are just waiting for an invitation to come be a part of the kingdom. There are a lot of people that haven't come to this church, that haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ, that haven't come to be a part of what God's doing in your life and in my life. Their story hasn't come under the umbrella of the story because they simply haven't been invited. You say, well, God's sending the invitation. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit calls. God asks us to join him in that work. You're the method. I'm the method. As spirit-filled believers, we are to go forth and compel people to come be a part of what God is doing. Now, the message of the invitation never changes either. The message of the invitation in a word is come. The spirit of the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. In a word, the message of the invitation just simply says, come. In a phrase, what's understood here is come to Jesus. He is that water of life. The word water always referred to that which satisfies the thirst and leaves you fulfilled. And here he's speaking of spiritual water, spiritual life, life in Christ. We're to say, come, take a drink. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He comes to offer eternal life. Jesus comes to a broken down woman as she is by a well in John chapter 4. She's been divorced five times. She's living with a man who's not her husband. Jesus begins a conversation asking her for a drink. She can't believe being a Samaritan woman that he would even speak to her. For one, she's a Samaritan, and the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. For another thing, she was a woman, and men didn't speak to women in public in that day. But he begins to explain to her, listen, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water that would well up from the inside and overflowing to eternal life. He was saying, I offer abundant life and eternal life, and all you have to do is come to me and ask me for that. And she eventually did ask for that. It changed her life, and she went back and extended the invitation and told everybody else, come see a man who can change your life too. Do we get that excited about what he's done in our life? Have we really tasted? Are we still drinking deep from the well so that it's overflowing in us that we might want to invite others to come experience? In John 10.10, we're told the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we like to emphasize, boy, the devil sure is at work in the world today. The thief's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. He's killing families. He's killing individuals. He's killing nations. But let's not forget the second part of that verse. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the fullest, and that's the hope that you offer. That's the hope that I offer when we extend the invitation. Listen, remember this. I remember Dr. Adrian Rogers saying this, and I thought, man, that that is something we can't forget. He said that Jesus didn't come to save civilization from wreckage. He came to save people from the wreckage of civilization. And so we don't have to be a part of the wreckage of civilization. We can come to Jesus and be redeemed out of that, and then we extend the invitation for others to come and be a part of what God is doing.
Now, let's not rush past the word freely here, by the way. This is an invitation that, it, that doesn't cost you anything. The price for the party has already been paid. Paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, come drink freely of the water of life. Ephesians 2, 8. By grace, God's unmerited favor. It's a free gift by grace. Are you saved through faith? That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. He says, come drink freely. It doesn't cost them anything. The free water of life, though, is only given to those who respond to the invitation. So you see, see the method, that's the Holy Spirit empowering me and you to go forth and invite others to come be a part of what God is doing, to come to Jesus. The message, come to Jesus. How many ways could Jesus extend this message? Every way, when he walked on this earth, he said, come to me in every way we can imagine. In John one thirty nine, he says, come and see where I'm staying when you look at that with, with, with Psalm 66, 5 in, in mind, that, that God's at work, he's inviting us to come see him at work, come see the, the, the works of God. And he's inviting us to come see what he's doing. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to give you a life worth living. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, sometimes some of the felt needs preaching and teaching that's, that's going on in the world today amounts uh, 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 to nothing more than the social gospel. But let's not forget, as Christian evangelical conservatives that believe the Bible from cover to cover, that Jesus does meet our deepest needs. And he says, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest from everything this world has put on you. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Luke 19, 5, I like this. Don't you love somebody who invites themselves? Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down here. We're going to your house. <laughs> and he just invited himself. He invited Zacchaeus to come to him, but he said, I'm inviting myself to your house. Let's go to your house today. Jesus wants to come to your house, into my house, into your heart, into my heart. He's not only inviting you to come, he's inviting himself to come be a part of what you're doing. John 21 and verse 12, he says to his disciples who are out fishing, they don't recognize him, he says, come join me for breakfast. Bring some of the fish that you've caught. Matthew 19, verse 21, he tells a rich young man, go and sell all that you have and come, follow me. Lay aside all the trappings of this world and come to Jesus. Here's one of my favorite. In John chapter 11, verse 43, he shouts out, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man who had been dead for four days rises up, walks out of the grave, comes to Jesus. And I like what the old-time preacher said. I'm glad that he called him by name, Lazarus, or every tomb would have opened on that day and every dead man would have gotten up and walked to Jesus. But spiritually, you and I were dead, Ephesians says, in our trespasses and sins until we responded to the invitation to come to Jesus. And we experienced life evermore. And then one day, one day, this is that sweet day that we look forward to. One day, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, we'll hear, when we know him, we'll hear, come and inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you. That's the message of the invitation. God's saying, here's my story, now you come 
Come to Jesus and get in on it. You know, Augusta National Golf Club is one of the most beautiful places. I've been around it, haven't been on the greens. Anybody here been on the greens there at Augusta National? Been to Augusta? Yeah, it's a beautiful place, isn't it? Just, we've seen the pictures. We've watched the, the masters on television. They were probably most known, well, outside of the fact that it's the most beautiful golf course in the world, possibly, and the Masters Golf Tournament. They were known for their exclusivity. And I'm glad that in 1990 they saw the light and realized that uh, racism is a sin, and it became open to uh, whether you were white, black, whatever color. You were then welcome to be a part, but then they were still somewhat exclusive, weren't they? It was a men's club, not a ladies' club. Now, to, to be honest with you, you know, I, I didn't see that so much as sexist because I think women need a place where they can hang out without men from time to time too, don't you? I mean, just, yeah, I, I didn't get, I wasn't too bothered by the exclusivity of all of that. And um, but they did allow uh, in 2012 women to come be members. As a matter of fact. Uh, one of the uh, women who I thought was a great uh, political leader in our nation, Condoleezza Rice, became one of the first female members of Augusta National. But they still haven't invited me to be a part. Not that I could afford it if they did invite me to be a member of Augusta National Golf Club. And I'm sure people like, you know, Steve Spurrier and Mark Rick and those guys, that you know, they, they've got an invitation, but... I haven't gotten an invitation. And like I said, even if I did, I don't think I could afford it. Church, listen to me. Heaven is more beautiful than any place on earth. And the kingdom of God, being a member of that kingdom, is more precious than any social club in this world. And God forbid that any church pretend to be any more exclusive than what Jesus Christ has made the kingdom. Now, there's still only one way in. It is exclusive in that we only come in through Jesus Christ. But as a church, we need to extend this invitation and keep this message straight that if you'll come through the cross, everybody is welcome. Everybody's welcome to be a part of the kingdom. Everybody's welcome to be a part of the family of God. Everybody's welcome to be a part of this church. When you come by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, red, yellow, black, or white, young or old, rich or poor, there's no cost. The price has been paid, and you're invited to come be a part of it. Too many churches are acting like exclusive clubs when they ought to be inviting anybody and everybody they possibly can to come to Jesus and to come be a part of what God is doing. I want to close by mentioning the, the mission of the invitation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come, and him, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. The mission in all of this is for us to come, but secondly, for us to extend the invitation. He tells us to go say what he is saying. 
to take the words of Christ and to go into this world and extend the invitation as a people of God on mission. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, obviously, first of all, you invite people to Christ. This morning I was in a store. Obviously, the lady who was working at that store was not going to be able to be at church today. I didn't say, how dare you work on Sunday? Because she could have replied to me, well, how dare you shop on Sunday? (laughs) If you shop, I got to work. No, I didn't beat her up by, how dare you work on Sunday? I just simply handed her one of my cards. It's got the gospel on the back, the website on the front. I said, look, I know you had to work today. If you get a chance, our sermons are on this website. Go to it. Check it out. We need to invite people to Christ first. They need to come be a part of the family of God through faith in Christ. Secondly, Not only should we be about inviting people to Christ, we need to be about inviting people to church. And I think there were so many years where I just kind of beat up on everybody to go forth and witness and share the gospel with everybody they met that sometimes we forget the the, the simple task of inviting somebody to come to church. As a matter of fact, there were times that I almost thought that was unspiritual. Don't invite them to church. Tell them about Jesus. And I realized that there are so many places in Scripture, like in the book of Acts, where Cornelius says, you know what, I'm going to invite everybody over to my house, and Peter, you tell them about Jesus, and and that's okay. For you to say, hey, come to church, because I know if you're here on Wednesday night, if you're in Emerge, if you're in Awana, if you're in Adult Bible Study, or if you come on Sunday morning, if you're in a life group, you're in our worship service, if you'll just come to church with me, I know somebody's going to tell you about Jesus Christ. So let's let's invite people to Christ and, and, and pray that God will give you the courage and the boldness to tell them and explain to them the gospel and, and explain to them who Jesus is. But church, let's not forget to invite people to corporate worship. Hey, listen, I know the church is, is not a building. The church is not a place. The church is the body of Christ. It's me and you as we are salt and light in the world. We are the church and we're to be the church. But we can invite people to corporate worship to see the church encountering Christ that they might say, I want some of that too. And then invite people to change. We come to Christ through faith and repentance, but we can invite people to change by experiencing the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. See, see, it could be that they're not coming to church because they feel like they're going through a a great financial strain in life, and, and, you know, churches are just after your money anyway is what many of them fear. So you you begin to say, no, listen, Jesus wants to change your life. They don't want to come to church and say, man, we're having these problems. We're having family problems. And when we get all our family problems worked out, we'll, we'll, come to, we'll come to church. Then, no, we come to Jesus so that he can change us. We don't get our lives cleaned up so we can come to Jesus. We come to him so he can clean us up and bring change. Romans chapter 116, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation of those who will believe. He wants to change their lives with the power of the gospel. Why do we have an invitation at the end of the service? Because when Jesus gave a message, he always offered an opportunity for a response, often a public response. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before this wicked and adulterous generation. I don't know what all of that means. It does sound very scary, though. Don't be ashamed of me. He says, come to me. And so I still believe, I realize that that a lot of contemporary churches, a lot of modern churches have done away with the invitation because you don't want people to feel like they have to walk an aisle or come down in front of people or anything like that. 
And if that's you, that's okay. You can write on your your card or a note in your bulletin, drop in the offer plate, say, Pastor, I need you to pray about this situation or pray for me or give us a call. We can do business with God anytime, anywhere. But I still believe there's something special and something powerful about an old-fashioned altar in responding to what God is doing in your life immediately before you walk out, you go home, you watch the ball game or the race and eat lunch and everything else, and you forgot to water that seed that God planted in your heart. You forgot to make a commitment. You never get around to making a decision. So I still believe in opening an altar, inviting people to an altar. But by the end of the service, about this time every Sunday... I know you begin to think, is he about to wrap it up? We're about to be out of here. We're going to grab some lunch. Pastor, you know the Falcons play the Saints today. Or maybe we just have too much pride. Maybe there are some of you who used to hit an altar. You used to get on your knees. You remember those times you used to pray and cry for the lost? Pray for this nation. Pray for revival in this church. Pray for revival in your heart. Pray for God to restore your home. Maybe you've got time, but there's just too much pride. The invitation at the end of a worship service is just a little picture of the big picture, the invitation Jesus is sending this world to come. And I want to encourage you, church. Why are you preaching this today, Pastor? I'm I'm preaching this. We're starting this month, a new church year. And I want to ask the Trinity family, to take the invitation seriously. The invitation to come to Christ. The invitation to be a part of his church, the body and the bride. The invitation to drink freely of the water of life. The invitation to change, to experience what God wants you to experience in an encounter with Jesus Christ. To experience healing spiritually, physically, financially, whatever the need may be in your life. And I also want us, church, to take this invitation at the end of a worship service. I want us to take that invitation seriously. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting and calling and convicting your heart that you would come, maybe it's just to pray with somebody or for somebody. Maybe it's because you need a life-changing encounter with Christ and you need to act on the message immediately. So, Trinity family, let's take the invitation here and out there, very seriously as we approach or as we have entered into this new church year. Would you bow your heads with me?